say, what do you do? <laughs> well, what have you done? <laughs> For most of your life. Well, um, you know, I've been playing drums. For most of my life, I've been playing drums. I, um, I guess, uh, my early exposure to to drums was uh, seeing um, Sammy Davis Jr. play drums. You know, I mean, I knew him to be a dancer and a singer and the whole thing. But then when I saw that he could play drums too, I was like really excited about that. And um, Lionel Hampton was another one who played drums who that I didn't expect played drums. I mean, so that kind of got my attention back when I was just a kid. And then the um, I grew up um, in Inglewood, right? And so uh, I was live right down the street from Hamilton Park, and there were drummers that used to play in the park. And when I would go. Um, to to the uh, field house, or uh, I was up there playing baseball, and I would stop by and listen to them play, and I'd ask them, "Could I could I play?" And they would let me play, you know, and um, that's kind of how I got got inoculated, so to speak, you know. Is that would that be normal? I mean, for a drummer to go from hand, because I know a lot of hand drummers go to traps, but for mm -hmm. Started off with hand drums. Is that would that be a normal transition? Uh I, I don't know. I but I think a lot of people um who have the proclivity to play rhythms do it on everything. Cause when I now that I think about it, um when I was very, very young, I think I got my first drum set uh for Christmas. Um and it was one of those drum sets, you know, the, the, the heads are made out of paper. I quickly tore it up. Right, right. But I got that because I was playing on everything, yeah. you know, around the house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so they got that for me to to to, to try to um, give me something to, to work with. Right. And, uh, after, you know, after I tore that up, I don't <laughs> think I... And, and, you know, this is, a, this is something that um, uh, also... This is probably my early, early, and earlier exposure than even seeing Lionel and um, and Sammy Davis Jr. play drums. I grew up. I, my, uh, the first domicile I can remember was on the corner of Fifty Ninth uh, and Princeton, right in Inglewood, mm -hmm. right across the street from. I think it was St. Martin's. Maybe that's the name of the church. Mm -hmm. But Inglewood's marching band used to rehearse at Sherwood Park, which is about four blocks north of where I live. And they marched right down the street, mm -hmm. right? And I could hear them uh, 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 blocks away. The drums, I could hear the drums, the percussion, the percussiveness of the drums. Mm -hmm. And I just got excited and the excitement built. The closer they got, the more, I, the better I could hear them until I could see them. I mean, I was about to explode at that point. I was so ex excited. Mm -hmm. But... um that probably preceded the me beating on everything. You know, mm -hmm. once I saw that, it was like, it was going <laughs> in. You know, it was it over. Was in, so. I, I'm laughing and I'm just interject because it, it's interesting. And I have talked to a few other percussionists and we kind of share the same um, start. And maybe that's just typical for people starting mm -hmm. anything. You know, I, my, my first um, viewing was 
uh, Ringo Starr. You know, okay, okay. wasn't that great of a drummer, but when I saw those girls around screaming and hollering, and they kept <laughs> putting the camera on him, I was like, "That's what I'm gonna do." And you know, yeah. I would take the coffee, I, and we were, we were in the projects, we were in uh, mm -hmm. uh, Rockwell Gardens. Mm -hmm. so I would pour the coffee out of the coffee cans and mm -hmm. use those rubber heads, you know, and take clothespins or whatever, a clothespin, uh -huh. and beat on those. So mm -hmm. the same thing. My mm -hmm. father, it was my grandfather who had to buy me something because my, my my father was going to kill me because I was wasting all this coffee, throwing it out <laughs> the can. So, and, and that's how I got, that's how I really got it, Steve. When I, I was in third grade and I went, I was at an assembly and I saw them posting colors and I heard these drums, man, that was it you know that was it and i was in third grade and you weren't able to be in the marching band until fourth uh four and a half back then they had mm -hmm. half grades or fifth grades mm -hmm. but i begged this nun and i was a shorty and they didn't she said well we don't even have a drum to fit you so my father would do anything to get me away from the house and the coffee cans so he got my grandfather to buy me a snare drum it wasn't uh -huh. a marching snare drum uh -huh. it was a snare drum and mm -hmm. my father rigged it up and I went back to school and told this nun, you know, listen, I can play this. I had a rope around. So uh -huh. again, the marching band thing to this day, I go up to, cause I went to Northern for a minute. I go up to Sycamore every um, fall cause mm -hmm. they have the Sycamore parade. And I just, you know, when my kids were young, I'd haul them up there in strollers and, you know, and they thought I was crazy cause it'd be cold. And I mm -hmm. just had to see those marching bands you know, coming down the aisle, man, and I'd be like a little kid on crack, man. I was just so. Um, well, you know, you triggered a memory. You triggered a memory about how we had the drummers at the assemblies because they would have the drummers play, and they post in the post the colors, right? Right, the flags and stuff. So that was another um, stimulating, you know, input. Uh, you know, just being at this uh, assemblies at the schools and listening to the drummers play that little cadence that they played so they could march in. I had some friends that lived around the block from me. You know, they, they were they were from the South, very, very down to earth country folk, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and they had, a, the, the door was open. I could go in. I was treated just like one of the, one of the kids, you know. Mm -hmm. um, their dad worked on cars in the garage, right? And he had a couple brothers. So they, after they worked the day in the garage, um, fixing cars and stuff they would pull the guitars out and play the blues mm. you know so uh Clarence and LT picked up guitars and started playing and I I learned how to play a couple things on guitar and then um and then Clarence for Christmas got a snare drum hmm. right um and I think maybe I got a tiger guitar or something like that hmm. um and then we started getting together and playing. And <clears throat> of course, Clarence was a better guitar player than I, but he had a snare drum. Mm. So, you know, at some point I convinced him to let me play the snare and him take the guitar, you know. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> so uh so we started playing at um, the little picnics, I mean garden parties around the the block, you know, just for free. Mm -hmm. We play uh uh was that uh 
we play twine time we yeah, could play yeah. twine time uh red green onions yeah yeah we could play that you know we use simple last stuff and i think the most complicated thing that we learned was hideaway you know uh jimmy reed's yeah. hideaway i actually could play i could still play that on guitar you know <laughs> but um did you play that? what was that um uh... The, the spy movie, dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was another one, you know, it was a part of our repertoire. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, so uh, so we were, we were a big hit, you know. And actually, because we started doing that, other guys in the neighborhood and on the block, you know, we were kind of like in an enclave because I lived on 75th and Normal. And to the east was a viaduct, a train, you know, a viaduct. Right. Uh, but that separated Normal at right. 75th street and then there was parnell and behind parnell to the west was also a train track right, right? and then to the south was this uh industrial kind of park and then to the north uh a block over was hamilton park so we were kind of like in a little in our own little yeah, enclave little you know yeah yeah and so um shoot the band expanded to about five or six guitars and the one snare you know <laughs> eventually though um eventually uh it narrowed down to the guys who seemed to be most serious about it um my mother tried to get me to take lessons and sent me to this to this uh uh person that she knew who was a, a music instructor and i had to walk from normal all the way over to, you know, past Hostel to Peoria or something like that. Right. And around 62nd Street just to get to the class. Right. To get to his house. He was an old, a old guy. And um, that didn't, that didn't work out for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't, that, he, this isn't, he just, I didn't even like looking at him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, so... But anyway, um, I think I got the opportunity to play, to take some classes at school, you know, and, and the instructor that I had to have my own snare and stuff. So taking that back and forth um, was kind of a challenge. But ultimately, my mother and my brother saw that I was interested in in drumming. So they bought me a Whitehall drum set. I don't know if you I remember, remember that. that. Oh, Whitehall. yeah, I remember Whitehall. Absolutely. And uh, that was my first set. And I remember my first victory was learning how to play the solo to Cold Sweat. Yeah, James. I had it in the basement, right? Yeah. And then you had the stereo system upstairs. I must have made a hundred trips, <laughs> you know. Resetting the record. You know what I'm saying? Okay, what do you do there? And go back down and try to play that, you know. So I eventually got it, man, you know, and, um, and, you know, the band, the band progressed, we called ourselves the Montels and, and our aspiration was to play at the Regal Talent Show. You wow. know? And uh, we, uh, we rehearsed the song in the midnight hour, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Wilson Pickett. Song Wilson Pickett. Yeah. And um, to play that. And, uh, you know, we had, the girl we had my sisters we were background singers and we were about it was about seven of us you know in the band and i went to robert hall uh you remember robert hall yes sir yes sir, <laughs> and, I, yes, sir. and i bought these outfits for us you know i picked out these outfits the white pants and they were white shoes with black soles 
and, and these 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 uh vests, these knit 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 sweater vests, you know, yeah. double breasted with black trim. They were white yeah. with black trim around yeah, the sleeves right. and the collars. Oh, we looked at temptations. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so uh, we went down to the, well, before we got all dressed up, so we went down to audition at the Burning Spear. Yeah, you know? over on 55th and State. Yeah, and uh, and they selected us to, to participate in the show. And so uh, this is a story I tell because I find it to be really amusing. But uh, my friend LT from around the block, whose dad, you know, who first exposed me to the, you know, to, to uh, guitar and stuff. He is a cat of few words, you know. Uh, he very seldom spoke, you know. So we were backstage. Everybody was kind of nervous and doing fidgeting, doing things to try to, you know, keep the keep the butterflies down right. in the stomach and stuff. And so we asked LT, man, how you feeling, man? You excited? He said, mm. And he's just be playing his guitar, you know. <laughs> mm, you know. So it gets to the point where it's time for us to go on, right? And we're clean as the board of health, you know, we looking good. So, and we're out on stage and they open a close the Montels, you know, and, and, uh, he's supposed to start, you know, but he got all this pent up energy, right? First, when we stepped out there, when the curtains opened, the audience went crazy because we was clean. I mean, yeah. it was like, oh, you know. So he's supposed to start out down, 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 but what he does is he it unleashes all that pent up energy and he goes right, and everybody's like, you know, we, I'm, I try to catch up with him and and after everything just fell apart, we just was standing there. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we were just standing there. We're like, what the hell happened? You know? And so. Um, and then I guess the MC started talking and stuff, you know, to try to fill up the gap, you know. Right. <laughs> and we walked off, you know, totally <sighs> deflated, you know what I mean? So it obviously was... you all you all didn't win, huh? No. <laughs> <laughs> man, <sighs> that, that's one of those things, man. I, I don't I I mean that's the funny that's one of the funniest experiences. <laughs> I mean, afterwards, but I mean it was horrifying at the moment. Right. But afterwards, you know, uh, sometime later, we we laughed. We had a good laugh about that. So who did you go on to play with, man? Well, let's see. Um, you know, playing two nights a week, Friday and Saturday, at the Green Bunny, you wow. know, subbing for Leonard. Wow. And um, <clears throat> man, that was a rich experience, you know. That, so you were with the you were there with the sequence then? No, no. Actually, it's the relationship with the sequence came later because when I came out I think you think it was Fred then you played with the T Fred played with T-Box then you played with T-Box yes. right yes and then when you went on to do greater things I auditioned for the T-Box band and this was just before they decided Fred and and Harold and Daryl decided to to quit and um we formed a group called from the womb to the tomb oh wow <laughs> and uh and we had a relationship uh, Fred obviously had relationships because he was kind of like Semtex, Semtex peer, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, thank you. And um, so we were able to get a gig at the Green Bunny as the house band, you know. So we played behind 
the sequence. We played behind Lil Johnny Williams. We played behind uh, uh, Linda Dove. Mm-hmm. We played behind the North Fleets. The North, the North Fleets. They were the, the sons of the North Fleet brothers. Were they singing gospel too? No, they were doing. Uh, they were doing the Jackson stuff. Oh, okay. Those five of them. They did the Jackson stuff. Okay. We played behind Mr. Aretha Franklin. Yeah, I remember him. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we played behind a lot of folks, you know. Um, and, um, yeah, so that was um, that was the period. And ultimately, we became Bosco, you know. I remember that. The interesting thing for me, I was the youngest in the group, you know, the youngest uh, musician in the group. Um, there was, uh, of course, Harold Warner, Daryl Johnson, um, and later on, Reggie Holden became trombone player with the group. He did the recording with us. Because James Rice was on guitar and Ron Harris on bass. Now, Ron uh, and I were, were in Ramsey's group, too. You know, we played with Ramsey Lewis together. But... Uh, yeah, we became Bosco and the influence, what influenced us to do, we kind of had played what we would call conscious music, right? Bosco recorded an, an, uh, wrote a suite of songs and recorded those and we were performing those at the Pumpkin Room. And, and so I was performing them at the Pumpkin Room and that's where I met Morris Jennings, hmm. right? And Morris Jennings, um, uh, we developed a rapport, and he turned me on to Phil Up Church. Mm-hmm. Up Church was doing a recording for, I think it was the last recording in his contract for Blue Thumb Records, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was called Sitar Soul. There was a, so I, I, I went to, to do the recording because Morris couldn't do it. He had something else he was doing. So he sent me to do the recording. That's how I developed a relationship with Phil Upchurch and ended up playing with him and Tennis and Steven, with he and Tennis and Steven's band. And um, that I think was one of the most uh, rewarding um educational situations, musical educational situations I could have experienced um, to be to play with Tennyson and Philip. Um, sometimes Richard Evans played bass. Tyus Palmer was a bass player at a point. <laughs> wow. You know. Them, he and he and Tennyson uh, were funny because they had this uh, musical rapport where they you know, could draw on classical pieces, uh, movie themes, uh, uh, soundtracks from uh, theme songs from television and stuff like that. So they had this vocabulary that they would go back and forth with, almost like making fun of each other or cracking jokes musically in the context of what we were playing. Uh, but anyway, dynamics and, and um, well, dynamics playing intense, intense at low volume. Um, it's, it was just a lot of stuff. And one of the axioms I learned from uh, the Phil Up Church was he would say, 
play the song and not your acts, you know, which I thought, which, which was a powerful piece of, um, mm -hmm. An axiom for say a young musician to recognize because every back then we all just want to be chopped we'll out. Play. You know, yeah, we want to be ourselves. Right, you know. So you say play the song and not your acts, you know. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, so that was um and through that experience, I believe that's how I met Charles Stepney. Mm. Right. And and then Charles Stepney's rela relationship of doing jingles and commercials and, and 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 stuff working on demos with charles i ended up with ramsey right with ramsey lewis and ron harris was was with it. ron harris byron gregory and myself were uh the three of us was kind of like work with stepney uh, 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 a significant amount before he made transition and from the time that we started working, I think it, it this might have been over a period of six months. Mm -hmm. um, Byron was already with Ramsey, working with Ramsey. But I, I don't even know how the three of us got together. But we did sessions. We did sessions, yeah. uh, uh, bootleg sessions, yeah. different stuff, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. Lucky Cordell was yeah. one. I, with, uh, Richard Pegee. Lucky Richard Pegee. That's right. Richard Pegee. Yeah. Uh, what's Clarence Johnson? Clarence Johnson, yes. Yeah. You right know, aside uh, of darkness. Yeah. And um, Jimmy Van and, Leer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All of these, uh, everybody was doing stuff. Yeah. I remember once we were in the studio. Who were we? We were Sonny Sonny. Were we with, who were we with in the studio? But we were in the studio and we just, Clarence Johnson, we just recorded a track. It might have been on Brighter Side of Darkness or something like that. And he calls Mercury Records. What is this white boy's name? Oh. Um, Robin McBride. Robin McBride, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Calls him on the phone, holds the phone up to the speakers, and gets a deal. Ah! <laughs> 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 Those uh, were the days. You know what I'm saying? So that uh, I mean, so uh yeah, so this was a, a very, very, very interesting period. Um the uh, playing with Ramsey was uh one or another, like that was like the PhD program, so to speak. I I mean, you know, uh Post, post the post grad, you know, mm -hmm. uh, program. What the mm -hmm. stuff that I learned from Phil and Tennyson served me well in that situation because of Ramsey's uh, approach mm -hmm. to to plan and um, he was and, like a professor playing. Yeah, managing managing the band. He yeah. is his that the dynamic range was so large. You know, I mean, broad. I mean, you know, we would we, you could go from a whisper you know um to explosive you know he beat on the piano at points doing his solo work you know but uh but yeah it challenged it, it, it you had to be um you had to really have a certain level of control of your instrument to be in that band you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and we when when you know we toured we were touring doing gigs for maybe three or four months before um 
we took a break to record the Salango album with uh with Stepney and Maurice Maurice White. Mm -hmm. So we flew out to the West Coast to do that, and um, <clears throat> and then maybe a month and a half after that, we started the the tour. Earth on the Fire was out on, on, with the Spirit tour, so we were. It was the emotions, Ramsey Lewis and Earth on the Fire. Was Lil Freddie with them then? Yeah. But Freddie was yeah. still there. Okay. Yeah, Freddie was with him then. Uh, he and he and Ralph were Ralph. playing drums. So they had two drums at that right. point. Right. And um, you know, Earth Wind and Fire is my favorite group of all yeah. time. Well, that's Maurice came came from Ramsey. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, my one of the one of the uh, my favorite recordings is Mother Nature's Son by Ramsey, right? Right. And. One of the reasons why I like that, that album so much is not only just Stepney's arrangements, the creativity uh, of his arrangements, and the fact that he's using early synthesizer, it, it meshed through the whole thing, um, is, is, it was a Maurice's plan. Yeah. He had this little uh, triplet thing he could do between the snare and the sock, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Did. I had never heard that before. Mm. You know what I'm saying? In the context of a groove, you know, popping pop that snare in there like that. I just really was impressed with that. And mm. then, and then just the like, the economy when he, you know, when I started to really check it out, Earth Wind and Fire, the, the economy of his, uh, the urgency that he played the sock with, mm. you know. And the economy of the pickups. It's like he knew he was building something. Yeah. And he didn't need anything more from the drums than that right there. I didn't need to ride the cymbal. Right. I don't need a bunch of crashes. I just need that pocket and the urgency of the, you know, the feel created by the sock. And I need to uh dot my eyes with this, yeah. you know, just that crash. And Fred, yeah. Fred had that same type of uh economical approach to playing. Yeah, his brother. He yeah. I'm sure know. somebody was listening to somebody at the house. Yeah, yeah, you know. Schmagadoo. Yeah. That's about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? No so, fancy nothing. Just you're right, right. You know, know. Pocket. All pocket. But you know, I'm 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 encouraged. There was a concept we had because we would we did um we recorded a my wife and I wrote a suite of songs uh, called Seven Principles for Kwanzaa, right? Mm -hmm. And we believe it to be the first complete contemporary collection of original songs for the celebration of Kwanzaa. And so we did We did a show, you know, the the what I experienced on the Earth, Wind & Fire tour, I tried as much replicate, uh, make my show as big and, and as, as, as uh, fantastic as what they were doing and, but we did the show for um, maybe 23 consecutive years annually um, for Chicago Public Schools. So it was the daytime. It was a field trip for schools. Mm -hmm. And ironically, most of the people in the community know that we recorded this, this suite of songs, but they never seen the show. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, um, in the... Um, <clears throat> You know, we did the Harambe Pre-Kwanzaa Festival. We started out at the Regal Theater. You know, we developed a relationship with the Regal Theater. And um, 
before we did that, that was the, we wrote the, wrote the, wrote the suite in 1993. In 1994, uh, that school year, we kind of toured a number of public schools doing a duo program to taped music, you know, Chavin Duke and I, yeah. uh, my wife. And, um, and then the, we developed a relationship with, uh, the Regal Theater, which is like a seven, you know, which is like a 2000 seater. Right. And we were able to market it to the schools. You know, we do after school programming too, right? You know, we've been doing that for almost as long. And we've seen children that were little people, you know, uh, third graders and stuff. Now they got kids who have, um, um, who are in our program. Sometimes it's even three generations, you know what I'm saying, for uh, over that period of time. And a lot of people um, uh, that are adults now were impacted by that show, you know. Uh, in the, uh, the music, uh, I think, is timeless in the sense that, you know, it's almost like um, the Christmas song or something like that. Every year the music comes back, you know. And uh, that music, the song that was um, the anchor song of the recording was called, uh, it's called, uh, it's Kwanzaa time. Mm -hmm. And Disney uh, called us, we had two, Disney called us to license it and licensed it for a Kwanzaa episode of the Proud Family. Mm -hmm. And you, you can find that on YouTube too. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then also uh, Arthur's, Arthur, the, the cartoon. Yeah, the cartoon character Arthur, the little enemy. Yeah, they got a character called Brain, which I think he's the black guy. You know, mm -hmm. I guess I guess he is. But anyway, he does a cover of it on a recording called Arthur's Special Christmas. You know, Ooh. so um, so the music is kind of out there. And Doctor Peace, uh, Gloria Peace, she has a um, cable television show. She's been using. Uh, Umoju is one of the songs as a theme as a theme song for mm -hmm. as long as she's been doing the art of life. And I think it's called 830. But anyway, uh yeah, so the the uh the so let me just go back. I'm just like babbling now, but uh I'll go back to the at the Ramsey experience after the earth went and fired. In the middle of the earth, wind, and fire, that's when Charles Stepney passed. Mm -hmm. I think it might have been, it was, it was May of, I think, 1976. Yeah. I think. No, it was, and, no, it was 76. Yeah. And um, so prior to getting the opportunity to play with Ramsey, um, Dean Gant and his, uh, his, his close friend, Alex, Akuna, who was a yodeler, he could yodel like a bird. I have not heard or seen him since back then. But you know, Dean passed maybe five or six years ago. Yeah, Dean uh, went to Holland with me. Yeah, uh, but he he uh, had met Roy when they came up. To, they came here to play at Ratso's, mm -hmm. and um, and and uh, told Roy about me because Ricky Lawson was about to leave and go to LA, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so I went and sat in and uh, he offered me the gig to take Ricky's place, right? Mm 
but I, I had the option of doing that or going with Ramsey. And it, it, while I, I had to do Ramsey because the Earth, Wind, and Fire tour was about to happen. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. get to be with my fate with my with you know with my favorite group of all time. How yeah. could I miss that? You know. Yeah. So after the uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire tour was over, uh, I had the opportunity again to go with Roy. So I did that, you know, and I worked with him for uh, maybe four or five years. I think up until uh, 1988. No, was it that long? No, 88 is when I went back with Ramsey, but. Yeah, because I know you did too. You did too rotations yeah. with Ramsey. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I worked with Roy for a number of years. There's a, a lot of recordings with him, you know, because everywhere we would go, if there was time, he would just book a studio. We'd go in and lay stuff down. Mm -hmm. Probably got stuff in the can that I played on that never got released. And then he, you know. He had a label called Uno Melodic Records. A lot of the stuff on there I played on. But he liked Dennis Ch Dennis uh, Dennis Chambers. Not Dennis Chambers. Dennis, I can't, I don't know why I can't remember his name. Turner? Dennis Dennis Davis. Okay. Dennis yeah. Davis. Dennis played with uh with Stevie a lot. Yeah, you know, Wonder. played with Stevie Wonder a lot. He liked Dennis Davis. He liked Bernard Purdy. You know. Uh, Who were you playing? Uh, who's my favorite drummer? Who are your something? favorite drummers? Um, I mean, if I'm looking at the, the group of cast of remix, I like I like Dennis I like Dennis Davis a lot. You know, mm -hmm. uh, he he didn't you know necessarily get he wasn't like maybe considered like one of the cats in the the drumming community like uh, uh like you might think of Dennis Chambers. Right. I, I love Dennis Chambers. Um. I love Marvin Smitty Smith, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but if you go back to the old cats, uh, my favorite drummer would, would be Elvin Jones, mm. you know. Uh, I heard uh, uh, Ron Carter do an interview once, and he met in it, and they asked him about playing with Elvin the, or the impact that he thought Elvin had on on drumming. He said, all you have to do is listen to drummers before Elvin and then listen to drummers after Elvin, and then you'll know. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? He uh, <clears throat> was unique, different. Mm -hmm. He was different, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, closest cat to him that I like, that I love, I should say, is um, Don Moye, you know. Oh, yeah. I call Don Moye octopus, you know. Because it, it sounds like he got an extra arm or two, you know. My my favorite guy, I know I was I was talking about you, but while we on it, um, was um Quincy's guy. Um um what's his name? I told you that he uh he wasn't even really a drummer. Um Grady Tate. Grady Tate, my man. My man. Hey, I love Grady too, man. Dude, he wasn't really a drummer, he's a singer. Okay. Right. That's yeah. one of the reasons why I loved him because of Man, uh, sack full of dreams is that the song? Oh man, uh, yeah. Okay, well, well I actually, actually, I found out he was a drummer after I heard that song and fell in love with it. I, I got, I, I just knew him from Quincy Jones mm -hmm. and Glutamatar and all that stuff, and 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 Killer Joe. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, just laying, yeah. you know, yeah. oh, just yeah. laying. And a little quick, he reminded me of Maurice because, and he did all these guys did what, um, what Upchurch was telling you to do. Mm-hmm. They sung. They didn't play drums. They played the music. Yeah. Okay. They 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 played music. That that's been my cat man. Um, forever him and um um jack dejanet now yeah yeah i like dejanet too man same thing just everybody you know everybody's got something that like i can relate to and love about what they do but this this is something i don't know do do you know perry wilson do you know perry yeah 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 so he's one of the you know and just talking to him he's a real student of the of the craft you know and uh, I think his last function gig before he um, got ill and came off the road, he was working with Sonny Rollins, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but in our conversations, he all and whenever we have a conversation, he'll drop something on me, or I'll go away with something like a, a different way to phrase, say, for instance, five stroke rolls, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I'll start working with that, and then just like, oh wow, I could open, I could use it here, I could use it. It just opened up a whole nother thing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about uh, some of the great drummers. And the thing that he noticed that I hadn't really appreciated is the ability to be able to know just by listening to the the drummer, not so much by what they played. Of course, that's pretty indicative of, of, of their voice. But they all had a unique drum sound. Mm. You could tell who they were based on how the drum sound, you know, and that 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 I started to really listen, thinking about, and 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 when I think about that, I think about Bernard Purdy. Mm-hmm. You can kind of tell when mm-hmm. you hear Bernard Purdy. Mm-hmm. You can tell when you hear uh uh um, oh, I just had his name. He played with Herbie Hancock. He played on the head. Huh? Mason, Harvey Mason. Yeah. You can tell when you hear Harvey Mason. You know. Yeah. You could tell when you hear Elvin Jones. Uh-huh. You could tell when you hear uh, uh, Max Roach. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's it's it. And then I started to thinking about this that they have, and you could tell when you hear Dijanet because of the symbols and the way he tunes the drums. You know the voices yeah. that he chooses to use. Yeah. And then I started thinking that's something I ain't never thought about. So when I listen to the recordings I've done, I mean I developed it. I'm just like I'll play whatever's there kind of right. thing. You know, and tuning drums wasn't something that I was like really, oh. really focused on, which I've got kind of gotten into. The bass player, the leader of the group, and, and uh, the founding drummer was uh, um, Meshack Silas. He was the musical director at one point of Muntu Dance Theater. Hmm. And he and his wife had a dance company they formed called Minyanka that basically raised my daughters in the, in the culture and the dance, you know. And Meshack inspired me to play African percussion. Hmm. But um, uh, but Rahul, uh, the bass player, is a clinical psychologist. Matter of fact, tomorrow we're doing a uh, um, uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion workshop. And we use the drums as a very integral part of that, you know, uh, work that, we, that we're doing there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, part of it we'll do drum washes and stuff. We had a the, um, drum watches, watches, drum a drum wash. It's okay. like 
we have these pan drums, right? And uh, and we'll play those around a person's around a person, like they'll be like in a tongue bath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same, okay. same thing, same okay. thing. So, so yeah, speaking about the spiritual nature of it, the, uh, 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 attaching that to a, a, a healing intentionality is all part of what where I think my concept of what music is and how it is to benefit us has evolved to and it's just like my experiences have moved me directly in that direction you know so over the last four or five years I've been studying trauma you know I I I, I went back to school and got got my bachelor's degree okay. I graduated in December uh 2021 from uh northeastern illinois university they got a program got a program called uh university without walls so yeah. i got yes. some credit a number of credits for my life experience you know yeah. so yeah. uh and i was able to finish that program in about 18 months and i'm thinking about getting in school in the spring to get a um, master's of social work you know so i'm still doing research on where and how i how, where i'll do that and how i pay for it but I'm interested in that. And so it's all about right now is connecting the dots between um, recognizing the power of music um, uh, and, and how it can be used as a, as a, as a, as a, as a tool to heal. Oh. Uh, I just did a, a conference. I wasn't able to be there, but for one day, but it was uh, be the healing uh, conference. They do it every year. And, um, Dr. Joy DeGru, you hip to her, she wrote the book called uh, 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 um, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Hmm. Yeah, she's profound. She's done some good work, but I've been studying other stuff and I've gotten certifications um, around trauma and, and resilience, life coaching and just trauma, uh, being a trauma professional around grief and stuff like that. I've been studying these things. I just came across something the other day on Facebook where somebody posted um, something Du Bois said. He said that uh, a system can't fail you that was never designed for you in the first place. I'm paraphrasing, right. you know. Uh, and so inside of this thing, we're uh, recycling uh, our experiences. They make sure that there's no intergenerational continuity and new suckers are born every day hey steve hey man this has been great and um i mean your journey is definitely you know inspirational to me and hopefully others will find it the same and i just want to thank you for your contribution to my drum brothers and to the world man because what we've done what you've done has affected we don't know how many human beings on this planet. So thank you, man. All right. I appreciate you for having me. No problem, dude. All right. Be well. well.